0: We're in the book of Acts, chapter 6. I'm going to pick up from verse 7. Hear God's holy word. The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians, Alexandrians, some from Cilicia, Asia, rose up. They argued with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses, against God. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. They came up to him and dragged him away to, brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. We've heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are God, and we are not. We are your creatures. You have determined the day of our birth and the extent of our life and the day of our death, and you have given us work to do. You've called us to be busy, and then you'll call us home (laughs) to rest, worship forever. We thank you for that. We thank you that you are the creator. We thank you, O God, that you are the sovereign sustainer. Forgive us. Uh, when we fear so much and we believe so little. We pray, gracious God, that we would see the opposition that your servant receives because he serves you, Jesus Christ. May this encourage us, Lord, as we live in this antichrist world. You are the super overcomer, Jesus, and because of that, we overcome in you. Help us believe, Lord. I forgive thou our unbelief. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm just first state the general doctrine that we have before us in this particular passage. It's kind of the way that I come at the Bible in general, is to first determine what the main teaching is of the passage. And our passage is obviously 7 through 15. We've been looking at this for the past couple of weeks, considering uh, Stephen. We introduced to Stephen earlier. Before this, he was chosen as one of the deacons, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, Uh, He had a a good reputation between those in and outside of the church. And he was one of those first deacons instituted to help with the the problem of feeding the widows and, and so on. Today we're looking at the opposition that Stephen, as a minister of Christ, as a preacher of the gospel, as a servant of Jesus, that's important. As this believer servant in Christ, he receives opposition by two entities. They're closely related, but they're distinct a little bit. He's opposed by the Jewish uh, um, synagogue, at least one of them. And then he's hauled before the Jewish uh, Sanhedrin. This is the highest court, religious court of the land. And so generally, thematically, we're considering the opposition that believers receive at the hands of unbelievers. And in this case, even the visible, the old visible church opposes those who, who love Christ. And then specifically, those who are ministers uh, preachers, teachers of Christ and Christ crucified—they especially will be opposed by um, Satan and by the servants of Satan, both demonic and human servants of Satan. That's what's going on, and so we're seeing the immediate opposition of this particular fellow, and it's going to stretch to the end of chapter seven, and of course it's going to end in his martyrdom. And we'll see that opposition to Jesus and Jesus's servants. Um, oftentimes follows a certain scheme or a pattern it usually increases in its intensity and there's a, a pattern going from verbal to nonverbal opposition but we're looking at that also what is occurring in addition to considering the opposition that we receive um, for loving christ which is somewhat antithetical to how many modern christians share the gospel so-called share the gospel it goes something like this if you believe in jesus your life will be wonderful If you believe in Jesus, your life will be wonderful. God will love you, and Spirit will indwell you, and Christ will pray for you, and your sins will be forgiven. Um, You'll have other Christians will be your brothers and sisters. Angels will be ministering spirits to you. When you die, you get to go to to God in heaven. So it is wonderful. So I I never poo-poo this um, believe in Jesus and have a wonderful life. But I think some way, times the way that it's put is believing Jesus and you'll never be sick, your loved ones will never be sick, you're, you'll never die, your loved ones will never die, you'll never be poor. That, beloved, is not true. That is not true at all. We're reconciled to God in Christ immediately when we first believe. And we have all of those wonderful spiritual privileges. Uh, but those temporal miseries of life, they don't go away. Sometimes God mitigates them by faith as we look to Jesus, but we still go through the crucible, do we not? We do. And another thing occurs the moment we first believe in Jesus, which is often not shared. The warfare with the devil begins in earnest. We are taken from his kingdom and under his power, and we are placed into the kingdom of the beloved and under Christ's power. And the devil doesn't like when his uh, captives are taken from him and bound over to Christ. And so the spiritual warfare begins in earnest, and that's what we're looking at. But something unique is happening here with Stephen by this opposition, And this is the encouraging part. And we don't think like this either. So right here, we're beginning the persecution of Stephen. Right after Stephen is martyred, the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was one of the ringleaders. The opposition to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, in Judea, begins in earnest. So right from here... God will take the gospel from the Jews, and right after Stephen's account, he takes it to the Gentiles, and he's going to use opposi- he's going to use opposition, he's going to use suffering, he's going to use persecution to do it. He's going to we are the diaspora, however you pronounce that compound word, the diaspora, two words, scattered seed. He's going to scatter the seed through persecution, and the way that Jesus got, Christ will grow His kingdom, His church, is through this opposition. When we look at this, we think, no, this is not how you grow the church, but this is how God grows his church. So we see the opposition that believers receive from unbelievers. We see the opposition that ministers receive from unbelievers, ministers particularly, because they're the the ones evangelizing, preaching and teaching and so on, in this case, Stephen. And so we're looking at, even as we look forward to Stephen being martyred, killed, we are looking at Jesus Christ through his servants carrying out the Great Commission. This is how people go to the world. They go to the four corners of the world. Ordinarily, people don't go when they're comfortable and wealthy and healthy. They like to stay put. When God brings this, he sends them out. And this, there's a place in the Bible that says God's thoughts are not our thoughts. They're infinitely higher than the way that men think. The way that we think, even as Christians, that we grow in Christ-likeness. I know you think this, I know I think it, but it's wrong. Oh God, if you could make me healthy, and oh boy, would I love if God would make me healthy, to tell you the truth. If you could make me healthy, I never have pain, never sickness, make me wealthy, everything perfect at the house, everything with my spouse, everything with my children, my grandchildren, make everything perfect, then I would really be a much better Christian. What do you think about that, beloved? That's not true. That's not true. I want it to be true, but I know it's not true. When we're happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise, and our kids are happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise, and our grandkids the same, what are we doing? We're going to the beach, eating ice cream, and planning our next going to the beach and eating ice cream. We're not thinking about Christ. We're not repenting of our sins. We're not thinking of heaven. We're not growing in Christ's likeness. And so not only individually in our sanctification... But corporately, in our quantity, in our numbers, when the church is sitting at rest, at ease, we don't grow. We do not. You could get a bunch of goats into the church with goat food, but you're not going to grow a bunch of sheep. The way that the church grows quantitatively and qualitatively is through this, through opposition. It's radically unlike the flesh thinks. We think the opposite. But God's ways are the ways that prevail. And now God is taking, through the beginning opposition that we see with Stephen and subsequent his martyrdom, God's going to take the gospel to the whole world. The whole world. Black, white, African, Chinese, Irishman, German, everyone. The, the, the gospel is meant for human beings who are sinners and is going to go out to the whole world. And this here, what we're looking at, the, the, the very beginning of the church going out to the whole world is not something new. This is, I know in dispensationalism, they think some different things about the the nature of the church, but um, it was always the will of Almighty God that in Christ Jesus, the seed of Abraham, to bless all of the families of the earth in the Israel of God. It was always God's promise. Always, 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 always. I'm going to read from the very first book of the Bible. In in Christ, in Abraham's seed, all of the families not just physical Israel, but all of the Gentile nations will someday hear what Stephen and the rest of these Christians, will. Stephen not, because he's going to heaven, but the rest of these Christians will tell the world. Listen to this in Genesis 28. <clears throat> this is to, to, um, to Abraham and to his descendants. You will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and the east and the north and the south. In you and your descendants shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. Read Galatians 3. Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham, and in the seed of Abraham, he will save from every tribe, every tongue, every. and it's going to begin here. <clears throat> when we see the Jewish synagogue opposing Stephen, the Jewish Sanhedrin opposing Stephen, God's doing a couple things. He promises to bring the gospel of Jesus to the Jew first. Then what happens when he, it gets brought to the Jew, to the Gentile next? And that's what's going on. We're right there. We're right at how God plans to take the gospel from the Jews and to give it to the nations. This is what the Apostle Paul says to the Christians at Rome. I say then, did the Jews not stumble so as to fall? Did they? May it never be, fall away ever, everlastingly. But by their transgression, the Jews, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous Now, if their transgressions, the Jews, is riches to the world, us, and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? That fulfillment is a a matter of discussion. But what's not a matter of discussion is right after the persecution begins in earnest, after Stephen is killed, this gospel is going to go from Judea, Jerusalem, to the ends of the earth. But here's the point. Through opposition, through suffering through death through bloodshed god's ways are not our ways we we think we're going to raise it with a, we're going to save people or we're going to build the church through a marketing campaign this is how churches nowadays think they grow you hire a consultant you know i'm telling you the truth you hire a consultant i'm supposed to take my tie off if i didn't feel so sick i'd put my coat back on i'm supposed to take my tie off i'd get a different hair and i'd have to lose a few pounds and you you got to look good and we're take presbyterian orthodox for sure it's got to come off there that comes off and and then the, the the he tells us how to do it that's not god's method god says here's my method be faithful unto death and i'll grow the church and so that's how god is going to grow this church and we're going to see it in earnest through the martyrdom of stephen and again we're just looking at it in macro view before we jump into the micro view I want you to think of what purchases us of our salvation and think of martyrdom because Stephen is, I would call him, the proto-martyr. He's the, he's the prototypical Christian martyr. He's the first martyr re- recorded for Jesus in the New Testament. But he's not the, first mar- he's not the martyr that purchases us from our, our sins. Who is that martyr? How does God save us? How does God make us Christians and grow us quantitatively? Revelation 1. Christ Martyr in the word in Greek is martyreo. It's witness, to be a witness. Jesus is the faithful witness. He's the faithful martyr. It's this. Revelation 1. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne. From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Jesus Christ, the faithful martyr. The firstborn from the dead. The ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, glory and dominion forever. The faithful martyr, by his blood, we are made believers. And God in his providence, and we learn this just thematically, looking at Stephen, God in his providence still does require some of his servants to walk in the bloody footsteps of Christ. People say, well, Christ pays it all. That's true. He pays it all. And, he sa- and then sometimes people wrongly say, well, there's nothing for us to do. Wrong. He owns you. He purchased you, body and soul. You give him body and soul. And sometimes Jesus says, pick up your cross. Where are we going? We're going to the graveyard. That's where we're going. Are you sure? I'm positive. You're going to go to the hospital, and then you're going to the graveyard. You're going to be stoned to death. Would a loving God do that? For God so loved the world. Yes, a loving God would do that. Would a loving Christ tell a beloved servant, Stephen, you're going to witness for me, both in your testimony, and you're going to seal your testimony with your blood? Yes, he does. And this is the kind of faith that takes over the world. It's not the kind of faith that fills up a church in America when America is at peace. But this is the kind of faith that fills up heaven it takes people from their sins and brings them to Christ. So Jesus is that perfect martyr that saves us. He does call people to give their lives for the gospel, to not count their What is the language of the Bible? They did not count their life dear. Beloved, it's um when you're healthy, you don't think about it, but when that little herald death comes knocking at your door, you start to think, I'm mortal. Like I am mortal. I'm really mortal. Thank you very much. I'm really mortal. And then it it does something to your thinking. This world is not our home. And God here is saying to his servants, I am going to call you to minister my gospel, and you will seal your testimony with your blood. And it doesn't mean that I don't love you, it's the exact opposite. He loves Stephen infinitely. And you say, well, does God still do that? God still does that. I'm going to read two men from the ancient church. Uh, One, I think, Ignatius of Antioch. I think a hundred. And then Tertullian, the late hundreds. These are quotes from church history. Ignatius, the martyr, 100 AD. Here is his final words to pagan Rome before they kill him in the Colosseum. Now I begin to be a disciple of Christ. You Ready? I care for nothing, visible or invisible, so that I may win Christ. Let fire and the cross, let the company of wild beasts, let the breaking of bones and the tearing of limbs, let the grinding of the whole body and all the malice of the devil come upon me. Be it so, only may I win Jesus Christ. That's what's happening to Stephen. One more. You know, you'll know a little bit of this. We're just looking at how God will grow the church through the opposition of Christ's people and of Christ's ministers. This is Tertullian. Tertullian lived, I want to say, late 100s to early, I think he died in 220. He's making his defense of Christ before pagan antichrist Rome, and these are Tertullian's words. We are not a new philosophy, but a divine revelation, That's why you can't just exterminate us. The more you kill, the more we are. And this is the phrase that you know. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You praise those who endured pain and death so long as they aren't Christians. Your cruelties merely prove our innocence of the crimes you charge against us. But you frustrate your own purpose because those who see us die wonder why we do. For we die like the men you revere not like slaves or criminals. And when they find out, they join us. You see that? That's this passage. When they find out, they join us. The devil sought to put Christ to death thinking he was going to exterminate the gospel. And what does he do? The death of the Lord Jesus Christ is the freedom of our sins. He's going to put to death Stephen thinking he's going to exterminate the early church, the fledgling church. And what is he going to do? He's going to explode it. <clears throat> we, we can't think according to the flesh. We have to reason according to the faith and according to our Bible. Now let's see how this plays out with Stephen. Look at verse seven and eight. So that's the macro view. But seven and eight, we, we learn how opposition to Christians and to the minister of Christ in particular, how it often occurs. Verses seven and eight, we have a great victory in the Lord. Many people, many Jews are coming to Jesus Christ. Many Jewish priests from the Sadducee party, are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? That means they're repenting of their sins and coming to Jesus as the Savior to save them of their sins. Even, as I say, from the priestly class, great success. And what are we what are we learning here? Again, lessons that we need to, to learn. We don't think that the preached word, th- th- this is what we're told in seminary, um, The preaching of the word and the sacraments is how God grows His church. That's what we're. That's what I was taught in a Bible-believing Reformed seminary. That's what I was taught. But a good part of the church doesn't believe that. They don't believe that the ministry of the word is effectual. Really, the preaching of the cross is really going to save people. Really, the ministry of the word sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Will really sanctify people. Really, and God, the Holy Spirit gives it great success. And what do we see on the heels of great success? And this is important for us. We're all in a spiritual warfare and God's gonna grow us in greater conformity with Jesus in that warfare. And he's gonna grow the church quantitatively through that spiritual warfare. We don't, it's not, I think it was one of the Puritans would say grace grows better in winter. Grace grows better in winter and we grow better in the war. We don't grow better when we're sitting on vacation. I'm not against vacation. But it's not when we're sitting on our, on, on our haunches hunches, that we, we, uh, we grow. It's when we're actually fighting. And we're fighting on our knees and seeking God's face. But we see right after, on the heels of great success and even the word having success and being confirmed by the miracles that Stephen is doing. And now the opposition rises up against Stephen in earnest. And it's, it's readily understandable but we, we don't think this way either. Usually when we're, we have some mountaintop spiritual experience, we think, oh, this is awesome. Everything's great. Oh, the Holy Spirit's really blessing his word. He's blessing me, growing me in Jesus. I almost want to say, tighten your, 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 your belt. I almost want to say, when you see great things being done for Jesus, the devil is going to be right there. And that's exactly what happens great gospel success and now the devil is enraged uh, in, in earnest. And oftentimes those things are they, co- they coincide. When the Holy Spirit is doing some wonderful work the devil is right there to oppose it individually and then corporately in the church and the reasons are readily understandable. This is a spiritual enterprise. This is a spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. And the devil believes that it's a spiritual warfare even if a great many christians don't see it as a spiritual warfare he he does not take this lying down jesus is plundering the devil's kingdom robbing his captives making them his free men and his free women and translating them into his kingdom and the devil does not take this lying down he he is he is more enraged against the church when he sees the the ministry of the gospel have success And I would argue the more faithful you are to Jesus, the more you will be attacked by Satan, his human servants, and his demonic servants. And the less faithful we are to Jesus Christ, then you can rest easy because the devil knows he has you. And so that's what we see here. Right on the heels of a great success, we see opposition begins in um, earnest. Now the Bible tells us, why the Jewish Sanhedrin and and why the Jewish synagogues were so enraged against the early preachers of Jesus and of Jesus. Why they hauled them before the authorities. And you know what it was for? You know, when uh, the Jews took Jesus to Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate is a pagan. Pilate knew why the chief priests arrested him and said, kill this man, Jesus Christ. He knew why. You know what the reason was? Jealousy. Envy. People were no longer going to the Sadducees, Pharisees, or the Herodians. They're no longer going to the synagogue, as it were, saying these things. They're coming to Jesus. He is the Christ. And Jesus was making disciples. And the Jewish people said, We can't have this. He's making more disciples than than we are. And they're they're jealous, they're filled with envy. That's partly what's behind the opposition to, to Christians as they want to live for Jesus. And for ministers, as they preach Jesus Christ faithfully, and they see the gospel have success, Antichrist, the enemies of Jesus, are jealous. They're jealous for their own club, as it were. And there's something about jealousy and envy, and I, I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail. It's a form of discontentment. Read how our catechism deals with the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. Everybody here gets discontent. Everybody gets discontent, Right. We get discontent with the measure of health. We get discontent with our spouse. We get discontent with our kids, with our cars, with our jobs. We get discontent. It's pretty obnoxious to the Lord. Like, if we're sick, he's governing that. He gave us our spouse. He gave us the job. And if we grieve at the good of our neighbor, it's pretty obnoxious. We're saying to the God of heaven and earth, "You messed up, God." Oh no, God didn't mess up. If you're on the ash heap, He put you there, and someday He's going to take you from the ash heap and put you someplace beautiful. But He didn't. He didn't mess up. So it's always bad to be jealous or envious. And what they're manifesting here, they haul him before the the Sanhedrin and so on. It's usually out of jealousy that they're opposing the success of the gospel servants, making disciples to Jesus, Jesus Christ. I mentioned it in Sunday school. I hope I didn't. You know, if you're, you've got your secret recording in your, your phone and saying Pastor John speaking against the OPC, record away. I love the OPC. I I really do. I want to die as an OPC minister, which probably will be by the time I finish this sermon. Um, I, I love the OPC. I hate sectarianism, which is partly what's going on here. Sectarianism is he's making more disciples than us. He's making more disciples than the Pharisees, than the Sadducees, than the Herodians. He's making more disciples. That's sectarianism. That's obnoxious. And one of of the things, it's a manifestation of enmity or warfare against people that are faithful for Jesus. I'm reading a book on revivals. The more faithful you are to Jesus, you want the church. You want the church, you want people who love Jesus to grow. You don't care if they're called Presbyterians or Episcopalians or Baptists. You want Christians, you want people to come to Jesus, to be saved and to be built up in Jesus Christ. That's what you want fundamentally. It doesn't speak against your little corner of the church, our little corner of the church, but they're manifesting a sectarian spirit. And sectarians always oppose gospel work. Gospel, gospel work. And that's what they do. You're you're not doing things decently and in good order like our little band. And we're going to stop you. We're going to stop a man that's been faithful and filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to stop you because you're not of our party. Remember when the disciples came to Jesus and said, See those guys over there? They're casting out demons in your name. You should stop them because they're not of our group. And what does Jesus say? Leave them alone. They're doing it in my name. And so, one of the things that God does to stop the work of the church is to excite party spirit. You, even in the OPC, we can out OPC one another. Even in the Reformed Church, we can out Reform one another. Oh, you, do you have music? Do, do you use a piano? Do you sing hymns? don't you know hymns are from hell unlike our psalms only and only people that do exactly like us are going to heaven that's one of the ways the devil stops the work of the church it gets Christians to do what instead of telling people to love Jesus and to be freed from their sins we beat one another over the head that's what's going on here it's it's a manifestation of the spiritual warfare I probably have stepped on people's toes and I don't mean to but that's what's going on here so the devil is, is is enraged in earnest, and part of the, the, the Satan's schemes is to excite party spirit. There's not a Christian that's immune from this. We, we all we we all are not not immune from it. And then in verse nine, we see another principle in spiritual warfare engaged against people that believe in Jesus, and especially ministers that preach Jesus. Verse nine, we see that. Satanic opposition often uh, works by degrees. And why do I say that? Right now, Stephen's going to get hauled before the synagogue and then he's going to go from the synagogue to the the highest church court, the Sanhedrin. He gets hauled from one place to another place and and then they're going to kill him. Opposition to us as believers by unbelievers, whether they're in the church or out of the church, often occurs by degrees. And before this passage, we see the way that it usually begins. In the previous passages, remember we had Ananias and Sapphira? They're lying, they're proud, they're hypocrites. Then we see the racial conflict and enmity in the church. What's the devil doing there? What's he doing there? This is opposition, internal opposition. It's opposition by corruption. This is oftentimes the first attack that the devil will do to you and to, to, to the church corporately. You work from the inside and you corrupt it. You remember ba- Balak hired Balaam and he said to uh, Balaam, curse the people of God. You remember that story? And Balaam wanted it. He wa- he, he's like, okay, I can't really go, but I'm going. And I can't really go, but I'm gonna go. And how much are you paying me? I can't do it, but I'm going. And so every time he goes and goes and God says, okay, I got something for you. And he can't curse them. And he has to bless them, and Balak's all upset. But at the, there's a place in the book of Numbers, he says, now, wait a minute, since you paid me such good money, you can't curse them, but you can corrupt them, which is just as good. And you know what he said to the church? Get these Jewish guys to look at these really good-looking Gentile women, get the Gentile women to go with the Jewish guys, and there you go. What do you have? The kids won't even be able to speak Hebrew. They won't even know the name of Jehovah. Why? Because their pagan wives are going to raise their kids to be what? Pagans. Voila. Did it work? Corruption. And that's what the devil was doing in those previous passages. He's working inside of the church. He throws a corruption. He puts us the contagion of sin like a disease. I'll throw it in the church. I'll make them sick and weak spiritually. And sick and weak Christians don't make good fighters. Right? That's exactly how he does it. He corrupts the, the inside of the church. A bunch of lion hypocrites, racism, all this nonsense. And then we're not effective. We're not effective living for Jesus in our lives. We're not effective witnessing for Jesus out to the world. Why? Because we're so sick. Now, what we see is when that doesn't work, remember the Holy Spirit gave success? When that doesn't work, he switches. It's not plan B. There's only a plan A. He always is working one plan seek and destroy, seek and destroy. But he doesn't give up. He'll start internally to corrupt. And and it's an indirect attack on the Christian and the Christian church. Now he moves to the direct attack. Since you won't stop preaching for Jesus, we're going to take a little trip down to the synagogue. And if you keep it up, we're going to take a little trip down to the Sanhedrin. And if you keep it up, we're taking a little trip down to uh, the brickyard. And you're leaving the planet. You see how it begins in increments. And oftentimes it will be with words. It starts off with words. We get to some lies, some slander. And if that won't slow a, a, a servant of Jesus down, if the minister won't stop, we see that the devil always will do what the devil will do. I am going to kill you. And that's exactly what He does. So we see he works internally through corruption. Then he moves to a direct attack. The internal, the the indirect attacks are a little bit um, trickier to discern because it's usually coming from someone that says the name Jesus. But this is a direct uh, uh, attack, and um, now it occurs in the synagogues. And this is not um, this is not mysterious why the synagogue is opposing the preaching of Jesus Christ first. And why would that be? Cuz that's where the Jews go first. Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 4 walks into what entity or what realm and says, "You know Isaiah? It, it, it's been fulfilled right now." He walks into a synagogue. Where does the apostle Paul go first when he goes any place? He walks into synagogues. Why do they walk into synagogues? Cuz they're Jews. And that's where the Jews are. So this is not rocket science. And why are these Jews in this synagogue mad that these Christians, this Christian is preaching Jesus is the Christ? Believe in him and be saved. Because they're the ones being evangelized. I I know this is so simple. The people not being evangelized are not being offended. The people that are being evangelized are offended because they're losing their members. And that's what's going on here. And we're told that this particular synagogue, it's interesting that they come from the the synagogue of, um, of the freed men. These are either former slaves themselves and or the children of former slaves. So these were Jews who were in Gentile nations, who were enslaved in Gentile nations. Somehow they've purchased their freedom or they've become free. And now they're opposing the Lord Jesus Christ's gospel servant. This is interesting. Even looking at these Jews from Cilicia and all these different places, that's a covenant curse. If you look at the Old Testament, God says, when you live like a Gentile, I'm going to take you out of the promised land and I'm going to scatter you to the four corners of the earth. So even where they're living testifies that they are be sinning against the Lord. But what's interesting is, here's a former group of slaves, slave slaves, like real slaves, and look what they're opposing. They're opposing Christ's minister coming, saying this, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and he will set you free. And they say, what? Set us free. We are free. Remember the Jews said, to, "Remember the Jews said, you will set us free. We've never been enslaved to anyone. Beloved, what's worse? Having a physical chain around your foot or your wrist and being a slave of a man Or being a slave of sin. Being a slave of Satan. These people think they're free and they're not. These people think we've been set free from slavery. No, the people that are trying to set you free from slavery, Stephen, this is real freedom. This is why in the book of Corinthians it says, if you can get physical freedom, do it. But if you can't, you still have spiritual freedom. And that's the greater and so here's Stephen coming along saying to people that he knows are in slavery, but they think they're free. You can be free in Christ. And what do they want to do to people that say, you can be free in Christ? They want to kill him. This Isn't this the strangest thing for you as a believer? I'm sure you've done this. You go to a person that you know is an unbeliever and you tell them about Jesus. Oh, Jesus will set you free from your sins. You'll be free to love God with childlike love, you'll go to heaven when you die. Oh, please! And you love them, and you share that gospel message with them, and they attack you like you just gave them cancer. You gave them the greatest news in the whole world, and they hate you for it. That's this. That's this. But but remember, God is raising and building the church through this. So they're choosing slavery rather than freedom. Now. We've said this all along as the opposition to Christ and Christ's people and Christ's servants it works by degrees. See, the opposition take, takes the form of words. They're debating. So the synagogue is saying Jesus isn't the Christ and Stephen is saying Jesus is the Christ. And I'm sure Stephen's quoting the Bible and they're trying to twist the scriptures, saying Jesus is not the Christ. And since it's a synagogue and the synagogues are Pharisees, Pharisees are the tra- champions of church tradition. I have no doubt they're saying, well, church tradition says this, church tradition says that. But the form of their warfare against God's people takes the form of words. Right now, it's just words. They're debating what's tr- This is a theological debate, but this is what happens. I have people in my family that I love very much, and they can speak very genteelly. And refined. But if you press anything of substance like Jesus, or especially no abortion, but if you sp- sp- press anything like this, you'll go from da ta da da da, da. You are going to hear a very special word. And after you hear that very special word, if you're in any proximity, you're going to watch out for glass ashtrays because they're flying at you. <laughs> this is how the devil works. Just words, and then he's going to go from just words to what? Yes, But that's the method. And that's what he's doing, and we can't be unaware of that. Um, And basically what they're trying to do is to twist God's word or twist the traditions of men to disprove. But God enables Stephen to refute their lies and to stand fast for the truth of Jesus Christ. When God, the Holy Spirit, helps Stephen to stand fast for Jesus, this is just the promise of Jesus coming true. Have you ever had this occurrence where you're afraid that if you're called on an account to give some testimony of Jesus by someone, that you won't be able to do it? You'll you'll stumble and bumble, but don't be afraid of that. Jesus says this: "Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men." They will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to the Gentiles. When they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say. It will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. It is not you who speaks. It is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. And that's what's happening. When God puts his children in a crucible, he's with us in the crucible. When God calls us to testify of Jesus, it's the spirit of God in us that will testify of Jesus. God is extending his work. And then they, they, they go to their go-to weapon against Christ and against Christ's uh, servants. When the debate, it, they're not winning, what do they do next? They introduce what? False witnesses. False witnesses. This is courtroom language. And they secretly induce, usually for some guilt. So how much money are you going to pay for me to lie to tell the truth-teller that he's a liar and the liars that they're truth-tellers? Okay, we'll give you this much. In a church, this is, this is the visible church, as it were. When they can't win the debate against Christ and his Christ's servants, they go to their, their go-to tactic, false witnesses. Oh, we heard him say such-and-so. That's a lie. We heard him do such-and-so. That's slander. And they're doing it in a courtroom setting. And they, of course, they need to get two or three witnesses because the Bible says two or three witnesses. And we want to be biblical. And we want to be biblical. So when we get our ducks in a row and we take them to the Sanhedrin, we can say, we're just doing it like the Bible. And we're just doing it like the Bible. And the Bible says two or three witnesses. And you know what you need to do to them next. We just love God so much. We love truth so much. You need to kill them. We need to kill him because we love God so much. We love truth so much. We're not lying. He's a liar. Oh boy. I wish I didn't feel so lightheaded. I preach more. Um, these are leaders in the church <laughs> who killed Christ. The church killed Christ. False witnesses. We're so concerned for the truth. We're so concerned with getting our T's and I's in a row. And we're so concerned and we'll pay a liar to lie so we can kill the truth teller, truth personified so we can. I say it all the time. I don't mean I do mean stuff by it. The church doesn't save, the church needs saving. Jesus saves. If you ever read the life of the English reformers, what entity killed the most godly gospel servants you can ever get your hands on? What entity killed them? The church. The false church. And why did they kill him? For wanting what you have in your lap. An English Bible. Death sentence. Torture. Killed them because they said justification was by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Killed them. The church. Beware, beloved. Beware. Oh, the church, the church. Mother church, mother church. Because you know what's coming next. You're going to church court and some lion scoundrel is going to say, here's a couple other lion scoundrels off with their head. That's exactly what they do. This is exactly what happens. And are we? this is the thing that trips up the real Christian. We think, well, we're having a debate. I'm going to study the Bible. We're going to have a debate. And you're going to be, you're going to be fair with me. It's the devil. <laughs> it's the devil's servants. They don't play fair. They put a brick in their, in, their, in, their, in their boxing glove. That's how it works. Well, I thought we were debating. I thought you were going to tell me the truth. No, I lie. That's what I do. I'm the devil. And you're going to die. Doesn't Jesus say we have to be gentle as what and wise as what? This is how the devil works, beloved. This is how the devil works. And God in his providence permitted the... Sin. It was the chief priest that said to Jesus... Tell us the truth. And then he ripped his coat like he was all offended. He he is blasphemed. We need to kill him. Kill him legally, of course. This is how Christ is going to grow his church. This causes the people of Jesus Christ to do what? To cling to Jesus. I'm not speaking against the church per se. Love the church, but we cling to Jesus. And this allows us to see our life in the right realm. We belong to God in Christ. We're beloved by God in Christ, but we're in a real spiritual war. And the way that we grow individually and the way that we grow corporately is through fighting. The world, the flesh, and the devil is through fighting. And we have the victory in Jesus. And at the very end, I'm just going to say this and and quit. God the Holy Spirit owns Stephen. His countenance, they they can't defeat Christ or the minister of Christ. God owns him like Moses. And the people clearly see this is not from men. This is from God, and God gets all the glory. Oh, may God be pleased with the preaching of his word.